let me just dive right in. We've been going through 2 Peter, and as we've been going through 2 Peter, uh, it's a tough book. It's a book that they call the, the forgotten book or the, or the most, uh, the last one that joined in. And so it's, I like challenges, and as we go through 2 Peter, we are at chapter 2, and we have to remember that this was written around mid-60s A.D., uh, in a time where Christians were being persecuted, and there were a lot of false prophets as well as persecution. So that's the backdrop. And today, Peter hits on false teachers and false prophets. So that'll be our topic. And the title of the message, if you look in the bulletin, is The One Reason You Should Leave the Church. And by the end of it, hopefully you have a clarity of what's the good reason to leave a church and when you should leave it. And it is tied to this. Let me start with this story. It's based on a true story that I saw um, online this week. And somebody was sharing that they have a daughter in school, and a teacher was trying to teach them about the Salem witch trial. So the teacher said to the students, we're going to play a game. I'm going to come around and whisper to each of you whether you're a witch or a regular person. Your goal is to build the largest group possible that does not have a witch in it. At the end, any group found to include a witch gets a failing grade. So the teens dove in, grilling each other, and they were playing what modern church kids play at retreats called mafia, and they're trying to figure out who's the witch. And they're, they're all paranoid and trying to look for guilt. And they saw one group being formed and a lot of small groups just scattered, splintered. And at the end of it, the teacher says, okay, you've got your groups. Time to find out which ones fail. All witches, please raise your hands. And nobody raised their hands. So the kids were confused and told the teacher, you messed up. And the teacher said, did I? Was anyone in Salem an actual witch? Or did everyone just believe what they'd been told? And that is how you teach kids how easy it is to divide a community. Shunning, scapegoating, and dividing destroys far more than they protect. And so you see why Peter is so urgent about teaching and warning about false teachers. The church is growing and it's young and it's already splintering and false teachers are coming in. And just by what people hear, they will divide, they will splinter. I think I'm going to say at least 70 to 80% of people in this room have heard of churches and families splintered and divided because of just gossip or words. And so this is so pertinent not only to 2,000 years ago, but to, to us today. So Peter's addressing false prophets and teachers, and the heresy that Peter is specifically addressing is antinomianism. Antinomian is this view that Christians are released. It's a false teaching. It's heretical. And that says, all of us are released from following the moral law because of grace. So sin all you want. Grace lets us do whatever we want. And so people like that. I could have sex. I could get drunk, I could do all these cruel things, because at the end of the day, I'll be saved. And so Peter is concerned because Peter supposedly died at 64 AD, crucified upside down. This book was written around early 60s, so Peter knew, I'm about to die. I see the church in just fragmented by false teachers, so he's urgently writing this letter. Uh, friends, false theology and bad theology can really mess us up. And here's a recent view. Recently, we grew up in a generation telling the young kids this. Somebody, somebody, a pastor made this incredible insight. That since birth, we tell children, you're perfect. 
you're good. You're, there's nothing wrong with you, which sounds so good. And they believe in their mind, I'm perfect and I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. And then you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, we are sinners and Christ is our only redeemer who can wash us of our sin. How does a generation that thinks we're perfect, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm fine the way I am, God accepts me the way I am, which is true. He loves us the way we are, but does he accept us in our sinful state? And so the theology has messed up a younger generation that said, God is there only to be my comforter, but I don't need a redeemer. Theology can really twist us in the long term. By the way, what should we say? I think we should say, you're beautiful. You're made in the image of God. You are wonderfully made, and we still have sin. Mother Teresa needs a savior. Your mom and dad and grandpa needs a savior. And we all are loved so much that God has given us a savior so that we're not left in sin. So you're affirming them, but you're also showing us a state that we have violated God's holiness, but God is the one who redeems us. So Peter is saying, hey, we need to get good theology. And God has always had problems with Old Testament uh, false teachers and prophets. This is from Jeremiah 23. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah, verse 32. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people, where? Astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. I think one of the scariest jobs, if you think about it, is this. We have to take God's word and share with people on behalf of God rightly and correctly. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, I tremble with fear before I preach every sermon. Why? Because I do not want to lead any of you astray from the truth of God. We don't want to be led astray by Bible study teachers. We don't want to be led astray by parents. And we see that God is not okay with false teachers. And so, so Peter is given this burden. In 1991, we had a, in my home church, we had a family that just vanished. We're like, hey, where did this family go? True story. Two of them were my friends. Hey, have you seen the blah, blah family? We found out later that the mom got connected with a cult who believed Jesus was coming in 1991. They sold everything, quit their jobs, pulled the kids from school. They were fully sold, and they went with a group of people to the top of the mountain to receive Jesus. Did Jesus come? Obviously, he didn't. The family was so embarrassed, struck, guilty, angered, they just vanished from all of our connections, led by one stray teacher. This is not just that cult. It happened with Jehovah's Witness. It happened with so many other mainline religions. And so this theology and false leading does damage to the body of Christ. And we need to be on guard for that. So Peter says this, for if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, he's referring to Christians, people who look like Christians, or false teachers who act like Christians, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness 
than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That statement scares me. It's saying they could either, so there's a controversy, not different understandings of what this text means. It could mean that these false teachers acted like pastors, clergymen, clergywomen, but they really were not. It, it could also mean that they were genuine Christians who were led astray and they became entangled. And then the next verse 22 says, like a dog returns to his vomit. So, so this is a scary concern that we need to watch out for as a church that, hey, theology matters. Biblical truth matters. The Bible matters. It's not just what we feel and hear what we want. And so not only do we need to watch out, we need to make sure that we don't become false teachers so that we get egotistical and we start making up our own opinions that are really started twisting off theology. So, so let's, let's continue. So 2 Peter, Peter gives us the first three verses is where I focus on. False teachers, what, what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. So verse 1 tells us, here we go. But false prophets also arose among the people, right off the bat, right from the beginning. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. What do they do? Two main things. They bring in destructive heresies, things that are antithetical to the truth of who the triune God is. They bring in truth that this theology that, hey, live as bad, as worse as you want and enjoy yourself because, you know what, God's grace covers all. And, you know, this kind of false teaching, I think Jesus said, woe to them who lead children astray. It's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown to the water. To lead other people astray. And there's a standard that James gives that, well, the teachers will be judged even stricter. And so they bring in false heresies. But the second thing they do is they deny Christ. They deny Christ. How do we deny Christ? You and I may tend to deny Christ. One way is the most explicit way. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. We deny Christ. That's the obvious way. The second way is we deny Christ by just simply ignoring Christ. We talk about everything else in the church, the music, the flowers, the stained glass, and we will never talk about Jesus. <laughs> we've, been, we've forgotten Jesus in the church. So we like the things of God, but we don't talk about God, the foundation, the rock, the cornerstone that this church is built on. The third way some commentaries say is that we deny Christ by this, and this is scary to us. We proclaim Jesus, we sing Amazing Grace, we sing Cornerstone, we sing this, but we deny Christ when the way we live doesn't match with what we say we believe about Christ. So if I say I love my children, but I don't feed them, I beat them, I ignore them, I don't spend time with them, do I love my children? No, my actions don't correspond to the fact that my love for them is devoted. I may think I do, and I may certainly believe it, but I've denied that truth of me being a good dad by the way I live. And so 2 Peter, the way we deny Christ, could be various. And so claiming that Jesus is Lord but living opposite of him, removing Jesus, we have nothing. So what happens if you remove Christ from Christian? 
we're just Ians. Like, I don't want to be an Ian. I want to be a Christian. Thank you, Nathan, for that one laugh. So that was a joke. We can't have church without Christ. And so there was a time when I, there's places where people said, I hear in maybe some theology, some schools, some denominations, even in our denomination, everything about God, we should love people. Absolutely. There's no mention of Christ. No mention of glorious, glory to God. There's no mention of we are his servants. He is our king. And so everything sounds so nice. But if you take out Christ, we have nothing. And so this is denying Christ. And then this is not my word, but look at what Jesus says. Can we read this together? Here we go. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Who is speaking? Jesus. You deny me, I will deny you before the Father. So it's not just Jesus is nice to talk about. Jesus is everything. He is the reason why we're here. And so the false teachers were taking out Jesus. They were denying Christ. And lastly, they were blaspheming. Uh, four times Peter uses that word in this section. And it simply means to speak evil of God and the truth. And, you know, when you look at Genesis 3, the way serpent uh, tricked Adam and Eve to sin, what did they do? They deceived and, and doubt made, uh, doubt made Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness for them. Do you know why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit? He knows your eyes will be open and you'll know all things. What is he saying there? Listen to this carefully. He's saying, the enemy is saying to Adam and Eve, God knows how this could benefit you, and God doesn't really love you. He wants to keep you from enjoying and having a better life. Oh, why would God do that? God's terrible. Let me take it. This doubt, this blaspheme, this idea that God doesn't have the best interest for us makes us distrust God and God's word to us. And so false teaching does that. The lie is that God is a God who keeps us from really having a good time. Our God is trustworthy. He knows what's best for us. God has given us what's best for us. To the very end, in the fullness of eternity, God alone knows what's good for us. And the church said, amen. And the enemy tries to undermine that. And so false teachers, how do they do this? Verse 1 again. They do this, who will see... So let me read it. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. How? Secretly. How do they bring in heresies? Not, okay, new teaching. Jesus is not God. No, they don't do that. They do it subtly, secretly, just, just, gen just enough. Going back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, what does the serpent say to the woman? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Just subtle, just subtle, just small ways. And you know how Eve responded? Yes, he did. He said, you can't eat it or you can't even touch it. God never said the touch part. And so the confusion is already sinking in. So false teachers will tell us what we want to hear. False teachers will subtly bring in a poison of lies. So if I, you know, this is a common analogy. There's a gallon of water, you're thirsty. If there's a little drop of urine in it, would you still drink it? 
uh, some of you are like, oh, it depends if I'm really thirsty or not. But if that's in your refrigerator, no, you would throw it out. And so a little poison can taint the whole thing. A little lie, a little deceit can really tarnish. In fact, in the 1700s, there was a King James Version of the Bible where they forgot one word. And it was a commandment, uh, seventh commandment. They left out one word. You know what the word was? Not. So it said, you shall commit adultery. True story. They had to throw all the Bibles away because of one mistake. It tainted the whole thing. And so what the secret, the false teachers do is they bring this in. But look what else will they do. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice how? By sensual passions of the flesh. In other words, friends, they tell you what you want to hear. They tickle your ear and they proclaim things that we want to hear. So if you ever go to a sermon and every time, 52 weeks in a row, if you go to church that often, you walk away saying, man, I feel great about myself. I am living a fine life. Something should raise a red flag. Because when I look at God's word, it convicts me in the best way. Like a chiropractor fixing my back doesn't feel good. But he's fixing me. God's word should reflect to us, hey, there's a problem. Oh, I need to turn back to God through the Holy Spirit. The word of God is a double-edged sword. But what these false teachers do is they tell us what we want to hear. Hey, you deserve to be rich. You know, you deserve everything that you ever wanted. You know, your hopes and dreams is what matters. And so this is what false teachers do. They leverage charisma and charm. And sometimes we live in an age where a lot of us like praise music. I think the way that false teaching comes in is we go to a concert, we go to worships, we sing songs, and if music feels good and we start doing this, we're like, yeah, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. I can feel it. And we sing words just unprinted. Sometimes the words are completely unbiblical. <laughs> Sometimes the words could be just as bad as a, as a heresy. And so when we see a preacher that could preach heresy, we say, I'm not going back to that church or that pastor is straying. I wonder if we should start screening the words that we sing. Is this biblical? Or does it just feel good? I, I don't care about the words, but it makes me feel so good. But that's how we stray. So false teachers, lastly, why do they do it? This is the easier one. In their greed, verse 3, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. They're driven by their own greed. They're driven by their own accomplishments and wealth. And it's his power. Um, I just went to a conference this week online, and they were saying sexual abuse, the perpetrators, you know, they really don't do it for the sex. Why do abusers, sexual abusers, abuse? Because of power, leverage. So we're intoxicated by this power and ability to wield. And so sexual assaults, these things, the false teachers leverage. They love it. They proclaim it. They even lure people in it. So let's end with the good news. So what does Peter say is good news in this as we wrap it up? There's two good news we have to remember. And this first one, I, I'm so thankful to God. If you read verse 4 through 10, I'm not going to read it again. Maima did a great job of reading it. That whole paragraph is basically this. God's judgment on wickedness will prevail. In other words, 
these false teachers, God knows he's not surprised by them, and he will judge them, which is why I'm so scared as a pastor. Like, gosh, I hope I don't teach things that are straying from your truth, God. Their judgment will be swift, it says. So verse 4 through 10, if God didn't hold back from angels against, although evil, against the cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, will he hold back against false teachers? And the answer is rhetorical. Of course not. And so can I tell us something as a church? You know why I don't spend my time and energy criticizing other churches? I'm too tired. I need all the energy to focus here. My job is not to police other churches. My job is to make sure that at least this community is reading the Bible, we're following the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we push and encourage one another so we could discern what's false. Now, there are exceptions, like Martin Luther. He saw that the Catholic Church was straying, so he wrote 95 Theses. God used that. Unless God calls you, maybe that's the case. But there are too many times where we spend too much energy tearing down other churches, and sometimes rightfully so, but friends, God is going to judge. God will judge them. You worry about your calling. And so this is, this is the assurance that we have as Christians where you focus on following the way of truth. Second, the assurance here is because God has given us everything we need to fight false teaching. It's called YouTube. Just kidding. Are you paying attention? YouTube is terrible. Don't, it's not YouTube. So let me show you this. Let me take a moment just to let you read it silently. I love A.W. Tozer. Wake up, church. Satan's greatest weapon, according to A.W. Tozer, whom I respect, is your ignorance and my ignorance of God's word. The more you and I have no clue about the Bible, Satan's like, <laughs> don't need to worry about that guy. Has no clue. Well, I just like the church experience. I just like the praise songs. Good. That's great. Start from there. Build your faith. Build it on the word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. This is the assurance God has given us truth in two ways. He's given us the word of God through inspired men who wrote the words, and he's also giving us the living word. Um, you know the word heresy, do you know the, the etymology of heresy? It was actually a good word. Yeah, heresy at one time was actually not a bad word. Heresy simply meant this, it's a choice of a school of thought. So back in Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, they were heresies in the sense of, who do you follow? I like Plato. My choice is Socrates. Which heresy do you follow? So it wasn't a bad word. It was like, which is your baseball team? Which is the greatest football team in the world? And everyone who knows God says Dallas Cowboys. We know, we know, we know that, 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 that heresy. <laughs> so is, is it wrong to believe, you know, believe? So we, 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 we read about each other, but there's no, like, right team. You have a preference. But something changed. The word heresy became negative and dark. Why? Well, a truth was born. A man said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is not many different choices of thought. There is a truth that was revealed to us from heaven. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He grew up proclaiming, I was, I'm sinless. He was 
anointed by God and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. He said, I will die and rise again in three days. And he did. And people saw him alive and said, God has come. And Peter proclaims Jesus as God. Thomas and Peter were the only ones that said and recorded the Bible, God to Jesus. So when Jesus came, truth was revealed. So it wasn't one of many truths. He was the truth. And everything else that deviates from this, if it's true, is therefore heresy. That's how it, and so someone did a scholar study and somebody studied that there are 456 Old Testament verses about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled almost every single one of them. How do you do that? Unless you are the Messiah. So, so I want to end with this. Someone of us would say, wait a minute. What if Christianity was written by people and it's all made up? Young people will get that in college. Ah, oh, people wrote it. It's all made up. And Peter gives us these brilliant words. If you have your Bible, go to First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Let me read it for us. And highlight this in your Bible. This is a good verse. What makes Christianity different from all the other man-made written? Quran was written by a man. Book of Mormon was written by a man. How do you know Christianity is true? And this is what Peter writes, verse 16 of Second Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is Peter saying here? We are not following a religion that somebody wrote in his upper room and came out with a book that we said, that's a great book. Peter says, we didn't devise this. Everything you hear from us is simply what we saw. And Peter is saying, I saw Jesus transfigured on the mount, and I saw him radiate. If you read verse 16 on, how do I know Jesus is the truth? I saw him. He died. He rose again. This is truth. Christianity's claim is not based on wise conjured thoughts. It's merely a, a testimony of what someone saw that God has come. How do we fight this false lies? We need to go find truth. Christ has given himself to us in the word and in himself. So when a church gives heresy at its worst or we deviate from the word of God, what do we do? then you need to say, I need to find a different church. But short of that, if the churches are teaching from the scriptures, we need to become truth tellers and grow in the word, grow in discipleship, so that we could proclaim the truth to the ends of the world. And this is why mission is important. This is why discipleship is important. And this is why we have Bible studies and for small groups, that you just don't watch from afar, but you are the church, active and engaged, sharpened by the word of God. And the people of God said, let, amen, let it be so. We have the truth in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and your message, Second Peter, the warnings. We thank you, God, that we are definitely too lax, that if A.W. Tozer is right, we are indeed 
um, just playing into the hands of the enemy, following any emotional thoughts, music, or anything that, that's not even true, but we just like it. God, may we be critical thinkers. May we be critical observers. May we also be attuned to your holy word that we may follow it with joy and gladness. Make our church a beacon so that we could proclaim, Jesus, your kingdom has come. And for us to be a place where we can learn to be disciples so we could make disciples that follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.